Well, good evening and a very happy Sabbath to each one of you. And it's a privilege to be here at Wildwood for your winter or fall graduation. And it's um, definitely good to see some familiar faces. Many of you I do not know, but some of you I recognize from our paths having crossed in places in the past. And I'm very grateful for this privilege to be here. I'm grateful for the testimonies that I've heard tonight from the students and of an opportunity to see what's happening here at Wildwood. You know, this is the first time I have been in this church, I'm thinking, in probably about 30 years. Um, but when I was a child, my parents would bring me here to the medical missionary conventions, and so I do have good memories. In the past, we would stay with a family, and then my parents would come to the meetings. I was too young to really get anything out of it back then, but I've always appreciated what Wildwood has stood for here. So before we get into our message for this evening, I would just offer, like to offer a word of prayer, and then we will get into our message. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Sabbath day. We thank you for this weekend where we can dedicate and consecrate the students who have passed through their programs, and I pray that you would be with us in a special way this weekend, and that for the students especially, they would be reminded of why they have come and of what the plans are you have for them as they move forward. So be with me now for the next few moments as I share a few words, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when Michelle contacted me oh, about a month ago, I was definitely excited about the theme that was chosen for this weekend. It makes it easy for a speaker when such a good theme is chosen. From the quote in Education, page 57, and the, the theme is, Though the Heavens Fall. And you know, friends, we are entering into a time of Earth's history where every single one of us, as a Seventh-day Adventist, must have a resolve in our hearts that we are going to stand for Jesus, though the heavens fall. And when you come to a place like Wildwood, you are surrounded by many like-minded people and you have the blessing of being in an institution where you can be trained in such a way. But many of you are going out to go back into wherever the Lord is leading you. And there will be challenges and trials and temptations to go back to what you've been to before. And God is looking for men and women, no matter your age, who will be faithful, who will be God-fearing, and who will rightly represent Christ and his character to a lost and dying world. You know, there's something about Seventh-day Adventists that none of the other Christian churches have. And when you come here to Wildwood, you get a deeper understanding and a greater appreciation for it than... Unfortunately, many Seventh-day Adventists have lost sight of, and that is medical missionary work. Medical missionary work 
is a gift that has been given to Seventh-day Adventists by God that allows us to reach hearts with the message of the gospel that all the other denominations don't really understand the way we understand it. And it's amazing to me how sometimes we as Seventh-day Adventists are almost embarrassed by the health message or we're embarrassed by whatever other elements that are connected to medical missionary work, yet rightly understood and properly utilized is the very thing that will bring the most success in advancing the work of God. And God is looking for men and women who will come from this place. Those of you who have been trained here, students who are graduating this weekend, you don't know, perhaps, how blessed you are to have been in a place like this. And I want to read the quote, Education, page 57, to start off this message. Education, page 57. The greatest want of the world, and that's the title for our message tonight, the greatest want of the world is the want of men. Now, before I keep reading, do you realize that the world, is looking for help. In fact, the world is so desperate. Look at just what happened in our latest presidential election. People will do anything to, and turn to anyone to try to find help, and we have the answers to what the world is looking for. The greatest one of the world is the one of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. And let me tell you something. That is a gift or a skill or whatever you want to call it that has been lost in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. And then the next paragraph says, but such a character is not the result of accident. You know, you don't just fall into being someone who will stand for what's right no matter what. That doesn't happen by chance. You don't come onto the scene of an accident or to a scene of a crisis and suddenly know what to do by chance. It is not the result of accident to have such a character. It is not due to special favors or endowments of providence. A noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjection of the lower to the higher nature, the surrender of self for the service of love to God and man. Now, if your motivation in standing for the right, though the heavens fall, is so that you will make a name for yourself, so that you will be famous, so that you will be known, so that you will be appreciated, your motivation is wrong, and eventually you're going to fall flat on your face. But when you are surrendered to Christ because you love God and you love man and your desire is to do that which God would want you to do, you will not be afraid to take stands for God. You will not be afraid to say the right thing when you're the only one that's standing. 
Now listen, there are times when you will be in places and in situations and in circumstances where you will be called upon by the Lord to stand up to say the right thing. And it's not always a pleasant thing to have to do. It's not always fun. But God gives the grace to do so. Now, when we look at this quote from Education, page 57, this comes from a chapter in the book Education, where Ellen White specifically describes the experiences of Joseph and Daniel. Joseph and Daniel. Now, amazingly, Joseph and Daniel are young men who were taken out of their normal living environment, both against their will. Joseph was sold into slavery, and Daniel was taken by force. And at that time, they were both taken, in each other phases of their lives, to the leading empire of the world. They went from the surroundings of God's people to the leading empires of the world. Now, those of you who are graduating this weekend, who knows where God may lead you? Who knows where you will be placed? But what I would submit to you is that if Joseph could be faithful in Egypt, surrounded by pagans, and if Daniel could be faithful in Babylon, surrounded by pagans, what excuse do you have? They could not be bought or sold. Joseph may have been sold as a slave, but you couldn't buy his soul. You couldn't buy his character. He wasn't going to compromise when nobody was looking. And he had opportunity to do so when Potiphar's wife came knocking. And by the way, she didn't just come spur of the moment one time. She pressed and she pressed and she pressed day after day after day. And unfortunately, even among God's people, many a man does not have the resolve or the character of a man like Joseph who will say, I cannot do this wicked thing against God. Nobody's watching, nobody will know, but Joseph loved God, and he knew that God was watching, and he knew that the honor of God was at stake, and we are told that angels watched with concern and with nervousness to see, would Joseph prove faithful to his calling? And he passed that test, and God was then able to use him. Amazingly, after that, he's thrown into prison, and he's in prison for a number of years, And through all of that, you could not buy or sell his soul. Joseph was faithful to God. And when the crisis for Egypt came, God was able to use Joseph as a man that could bring help to the people of the world. Because God had a man who was faithful. The greatest want of the world today is the want for men and women who have characters of integrity like Joseph. And it's easy to have that kind of an experience when you go to school here at Wildwood. It's easier, I should say. But when you go back out into the world, you're not going to be at Wildwood. You're going to be where God has called you to be. And the question is, will you remain faithful to the calling that God has given you the way you have been here at Wildwood? 
Joseph went from being the, the favorite child of his father, surrounded by comfort and luxury, to being a slave, and then to being in prison. And through it all, he stayed faithful to God. The greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold. Not only was Joseph faithful, also Daniel was faithful. We know these stories, but it's helpful to reflect on these things. Very early on in Daniel's experience, he comes into the king's court, and the officers of the court let all the young Hebrews know that the king is bestowing special favor on these young men. You get to eat food from the king's table, and you get to drink what he drinks. You guys have it good. You guys have it made. You get to eat the food, the food that the king eats. He is the leader of the world, and look how great he is. Look how smart he is. We're going to educate you. We're going to feed you. We're going to give you drink. We are going to change your names. We're going to change your character. We're going to change your identity. You will become Babylonians. Here is your new food. Have at it, guys. You guys have it made. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. You know, it's easy to eat according to the health message when you're at Wildwood. What are you like when you leave here? Daniel wasn't in Jerusalem anymore, his parents weren't watching. And hey, all the friends that he came with from Babylon, other than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hey, they're, they're eating the food. What am I supposed to do? I mean, if I don't eat this food, they're going to put me to death, and then what kind of a witness will I be? Friends, don't compromise thinking that by compromising, God can use you to be a greater witness. We're still talking about Daniel today because of his faithfulness. But notice there's a way to stand for what is right. And this is from Education, page 55. Unwavering in allegiance to God, unyielding in the mastery of himself, Daniel's noble dignity and courteous deference won for him in his youth the favor and tender love of the heathen officer in whose charge he was. The same characteristics marked his life. Speedily he rose to the position of prime minister of the kingdom. So here's the thing. You, you study Daniel chapter 1. And so the prince of the eunuchs, whom Melzer had set over these captives, Daniel comes to him and he says, can you give us a 10-day trial? Now, there's... There's different ways that we can ask for people who don't understand about the way we eat or drink or the way what our lifestyle practices. There's ways that we can make that known to people. You know, Daniel could have been obnoxious. Here he is, a Hebrew captive. He's been taken away from his parents. And he could say, these guys are such mean people, and I'm not going to be nice to them. And they're trying to make me eat food that I know is going to defile myself. I'm going to give them a bit of attitude. Excuse me. 
don't you know that I'm a vegan? This food is filthy. I'm not touching this stuff. So don't you set it in front of my plate. And if you do, I'm not eating anything. You got that? Now, is that going to win any favor? Notice he had courteous deference. In fact, Scripture says that God had brought him into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs, meaning that Daniel had a deportment of Christian character that showed that he was connected to the true and living God so that even though he is a a captive, even though he is a slave, he is maintaining his dignity as a true follower of God, as a witness of God. And so when the opportunity and the time comes for him to stand for what he knows is right, he has already gained the favor of the people that he's making the request to. Now listen, friends, if you're trying to stand for the right, though the heavens fall, and people know you to be grumpy and obnoxious and someone who won't listen to anything that anybody else has to say, it's my way or the highway, you're headstrong, you're hard-headed, hard to work with, nobody likes to be around you, they aren't going to want to listen to you when you say, excuse me, this is a matter of conscience, I can't do this. When we come to these key moments in life, the character that we have demonstrated leading up to those moments will be the difference maker, if you will, in allowing God then to open the door for us to stand for what is right. Listen, when we get to the final crisis of earth's history and we're getting closer to it than we ever have been as we look at the world that's falling apart all around us, don't think that you're going to be faithful in the final crisis when you're not faithful right now. Don't think that you're going to have the character of Christ then when you're grumpy and impatient and grouchy now. When the final crisis comes, those who have developed through the grace of God, the character of Christ through surrender of self, those will be the ones who will then be ready to, as Daniel did, stand up with courteous deference and say, here is the line and I can't cross this line. The greatest one of the world is the one of men, men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Interestingly, when we get to the end of Daniel's life, when the Medo-Persian kingdom is set up, the other leaders in the Medo-Persian kingdom who were jealous of Daniel, who had been elevated above them, they'd been waiting for years to become the new empire of the world. And here's this Jewish captive that passes all of them and becomes the very top next to the king himself. They're looking for something that they can use against Daniel. They have the methods of the CIA and the FBI where they can dig up any dirt that they could find if they want. And in modern vernacular, they would be able to track the websites you visit and the emails you've written and the things that you say and what you do when nobody is watching. And when they did that on Daniel, you know what they found? A faithful Christian man. They didn't find secret websites that Daniel would be embarrassed for anyone to know that he was going to 
They didn't find things that he was saying or doing that he would be ashamed to see the light of day. They found a faithful man. And so they said, this is a man who is true and honest in his inmost soul. So the only way we're going to be able to get at Daniel is to make him choose between the law of his God and a law that we create. If those same guys were alive today and they looked into your life, what would they find? You know, we can hide our inner self and our inmost soul from the onlooking world, but we can't hide it from God. And the greatest one of the world is the one of people who will stand for what is right, who will be true and honest, who are in their conscience as true as duty to, as the needle is to the pole. And it says, who do not fear to call sin by its right name. As I said earlier, this is seemingly something that has been lost. It's, this is a lost understanding in Adventism. You know, Obviously, when we call sin by its right name, remember when Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, he did so with tears in his eyes. Sometimes I see some people who feel like it's their duty to be the modern Elijah, but they do so with the spirit of the devil. And so we're calling sin by its right name, but we're not doing so in a way that will lead people back to Christ. Now, it is true that sometimes you just have to call things as it is, but you do so in the love of Christ. But at the same time, it is true, God's last day people who will stand through the final crisis will not be afraid to call sin by its right name. And sometimes I've seen things happen in churches where and you're going to go out into these churches, and you're going to be doing medical missionary work, but one of the things that God needs among his people are those who will be willing to stand for what's right, who will be willing to call sin by its right name in the love of Christ, because there's this epidemic that says, well, this is happening in the church, but if we, if we say something about it, then we're judging them. And so then when someone does speak up and say, you know, this is wrong, then that person is labeled as being judgmental. But guess what? When you label someone as being judgmental, you're being judgmental. So let's just take the judgmental label off the table and let's see what the Bible says about what's happening in the church and let's just demand of us, saith the Lord, for what's happening. In the love of Christ, say we will follow what the Bible says in God's last day church no matter what. When I think of someone who, does not, who was not afraid to call sin by his right name, I think of Elijah who after three and a half years of hiding from King Ahab, who after he had said there will not be rain in Israel except according to my word, he finally meets Elijah again, or Ahab again. And Ahab says to Elijah, are you the one who troubles Israel? And Elijah boldly says, it's not me who's troubled Israel, but you and your father's house because you're worshiping this pagan god. That's why there's trouble in Israel. So those of you who are faithful followers of God, don't allow the troublemakers, those who want to bring sin in the church, 
or into the church to call you the troublemakers of the church when you stand up and call sin by its right name. We're not the ones that are causing trouble in the church. It's you who have brought sin into the church, who have brought pagan idolatry into the church and worldly practices into the church. That is the troublemakers in the church. Now, we can do so in the love of Christ, but there is a want in the world for people who will stand for what is right because I see people in my practice who talk about the church, and they're talking about churches on the first day of the week. They talk about these churches in the town that I live in, and some of them talk about relatives who are closest to them. One of them is someone who works with me. Her husband no longer goes to church because he's sick of the hypocrisy and the sin and the worldliness that has come into the church, and that could be describing Adventist churches in certain places as well. And the world is looking for people who offer the balm in Gilead of those who follow Christ all the way. The world, those who are truly honest and looking for something that will feed their souls, are not looking for a social club that will be like the world that they have the rest of the week. They're looking for something different. And you have come to this institution where you have been equipped with tools to go back and to give back and to offer something that's different. To offer the right arm of the third angel's message as an entering wedge to reach people's hearts, to gain their confidence in a Christ-like way so that then they will be interested to hear about the theology of the three angels' messages and of the present time that we are living in and what the everlasting gospel is that will prepare people to avoid the Babylonian false gospel at the end of the world. And so I would say to you this evening that there is a great need for young people especially, but people of all ages who are willing to stand alone, who are willing to stand for what's right no matter what. I'm going to give you a little story about myself as we bring this message to a close. When I was in academy, I went to an Adventist boarding academy, and I had many good experiences there, many godly teachers, and I just went back for my 20-year alumni earlier this year, And it was good to see some of my teachers and talk to people again. I had an interesting experience one time in my sophomore Bible class, and it was an unfortunate experience in many ways. It's unfortunate that this happened in a Seventh-day Adventist school. Thankfully, all of my other Bible teachers the other three years were not like this in defense of this school. This was a one-year experience. But this particular Bible teacher, my sophomore year, had different views than most of the rest of the teachers. And we were talking about the spirit of prophecy. And he passed out a handout of quotes, all from Ellen White's writings. And the very first quote at the top of the page was, and I couldn't tell you where it was from, I just remember what it said. It says, God requires perfection of his children. Now, He read that quote, and he says, does God really require perfection of his children? You know, it reminds me now of the serpent saying, did God really say? And so, of course, 
all of my classmates were like, oh, no, of course not. They were totally following him. And then he started reading some other quotes. Then there were some questions from people, but isn't she a prophet? And he was kind of going around on that. And so finally, he got a little bit bolder, and he's like, how many of you believe everything that Ellen White has ever written? Now, I should mention that I would have been about maybe 15 or 16 at this point in my life. By God's grace, I started reading Ellen White's writings when I was nine years old in the third grade. I had a good Adventist school teacher who encouraged us to read, and I was reading, I read um, Patriarchs and Prophets, that big um, what the literature evangelist used, the, the blue volume, I read that all the way through in the third grade. And, and so I'd started reading her writings early on, and I had gotten through the whole conflict series by the time I got to this class. I'd probably read Desire of Ages and Great Controversy two or three times by this point. So I knew who I believed, and I knew that God was speaking through her. So he asked this question, how many of you believe everything that Ellen White has ever written? And of course, nobody raises their hand except for one person, and that was me. And I raised my hand. I'd never been in a situation like that before where I was the only one and I was taking a stand. But you know what? The room got quiet. And all of this anti-Ellen White sentiment got zapped pretty quickly. Because the thing was, and not to draw attention to myself, but I also happened to make some of the best grades in the class. So, and I had actually read her writings and they hadn't. So I could actually speak with some authority, and nobody really wanted to challenge me about that. Again, that doesn't make me better than anyone else, and it doesn't mean that I've always done things right from that point forward. But that was a learning experience for me, that when you stand for what is right, God will enable you to have the boldness in the right way. I didn't even say anything. I just raised my hand, and then it got quiet, and that was it. And there's been some interesting experiences in my life since that time. You know, I've gone on out to Loma Linda, and, and then I went to Trinidad for a couple of years and had some interesting experiences there, and now I'm in a small town in Middle Tennessee. Um, I've been chief of staff at my hospital this year, and I've had to face some very difficult challenges with some individuals where I've had to stand for what I believed was right, even though it wasn't politically expedient to do so. And it's not always easy, but God gives you the grace to do so. And you may be going out to places from here that will challenge your resolve to be faithful to that which you know is true. But you know, what is your testimony? You all have a testimony. Can it be said of you that you are someone who cannot be bought or sold. That you are someone who will not sell out the truths of biblical end-time Adventism for the irrelevance of culture. Please don't tell me that we're going to win the world for Jesus by putting down the truths of the Bible and lifting up modern culture as a way to reach people's hearts. People aren't looking for that. They're looking for something deeper and something better. What is your testimony? Are you being faithful to the Lord? Are you following God in every respect so that God can use you to be someone who meets the greatest want of this world? You know, as I close, I'm going to read this 
last statement from education, page 264. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, from Mark 16, 15. As Christ commanded his followers, not that all are called to be ministers or missionaries in the ordinary sense of the term, but let me tell you something. If you've come to Wildwood, you're in the top 1% of this world, friends. You don't have an excuse to not be a missionary. Not that all are called to be ministers or missionaries in the ordinary sense of the term, but all may be workers with him in giving the glad tidings to their fellow men. To all, great or small, learned or ignorant, old or young, the command is given. In view of this command, so we have a command to take the gospel to the world in the context of the three angels' messages. In view of this command, can we educate our sons and daughters for a life of respectable conventionality a life professedly Christian, but lacking his self-sacrifice, a life on which the verdict of him who is truth must be, I know you not. Thousands are doing this. Friends, you can be an average Adventist. You can go back out and just live an average Adventist life and show up to church once a week and hardly think about living a life of service the rest of the week. But friends, God has not called Seventh-day Adventists to live average, ordinary lives of respectable conventionality where on the outside it looks like we're living respectable lives, but we don't have the slightest thought of doing service for the people of this world. God has called us as Seventh-day Adventists, to take the gospel to the world, and he uses medical missionary work as the entering wedge to reach the people of this world, and he wants to use each one of you here this evening to do that work. Don't go out and just live a life of respectable conventionality. Don't go out and live a life of average, lukewarm, Laodicean Adventism. Go out and make a difference for the Lord because you love Jesus. Take the things that you've learned from this place and make use of it and be a light to the world wherever you go. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your spirit to be with us this evening as we begin the Sabbath hours. Father in heaven, may we be among the men and women of this earth who fill the greatest want that the world is looking for. May we be true as duty as the needle is to the pole. May we be faithful to you. Forgive us, Lord, for being satisfied with living lives of respectable conventionality, average Adventism, lukewarm Laodicean, just one Sabbath to the next, nothing changes, everything's the same. Someday Jesus may come, but not next week or next month or next year. We're just going to keep on business as usual. Lord, shake us out of that mentality. Help us to be awake to the reality of the nearness of the coming of Jesus. And may we, with a spirit of self-sacrifice and of love for God and love to man, go forth to give the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Be with the students especially who are graduating this week, and may they be encouraged especially with the things they have learned to do your work in your way to bring souls to the kingdom. Be with us through the rest of this weekend, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.